A reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood what the, the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist, his body like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they were fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of, kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days? For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, now as we come to consider... Um, what are some weighty readings um, and ones that are a little obscure or can be uh, we thank you that you're a good communicator uh, so will you communicate 
Will you speak? And will you speak in such a way that what you did in Daniel, how you strengthened Daniel, will you do that by your Holy Spirit in us? Wherever we're at, we invite you to address the deepest needs of our lives, whether we know it or not. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. And uh, it's helpful if you turn back to that long reading uh, from the book of Daniel. We're almost to the end of the book of Daniel. If you haven't been with us, we've been reading through uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're almost to the end. Um, we're going to look at Daniel 10 today, and in a couple weeks we're going to look at Daniel chapter uh, 12, um, and, then, and then we'll be done. Um, and in this reading, uh, we get to hear the kind of introduction to Daniel's last and climactic vision. You'll see that in this reading, Daniel has a conversation, a pretty intense conversation with uh, a number of individuals who, who at the very least, are angels. So we'll get into it, but here's the question that I want to put before us today as we look at this, um, at this reading, and he here's the question. Uh, Emmanuel, how can we be a people of courage in a world of conflict? Um, now, my guess is that I don't have to persuade you that we live in a world where there's a fair amount of conflict. I don't even think I have to illustrate that. I think probably uh, I'll leave that to you. But I do want to say right away, I want to try to narrow in on what we mean by courage. Because I don't mean pseudo-courage. Uh, Sometimes uh, when we talk about courage, uh, we talk about something that's a little bit like bravado, or we talk about something that's kind of a, 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 a set, almost like macho kind of way of relating, um, and we call it courage, but that's not courage. Or sometimes in our conflicted world, uh, we imagine that courage is, you know, waving a certain tribal banner in our society or in our culture, or we want to post things that make a certain tribe happy, and, and we call that courage. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about today. Because very often those approaches to courage are just, it's just fear uh, playing dress up. When I ask how can we be a people of courage in a world of conflict, I'm asking about a type of courage exemplified perfectly by Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, Emmanuel, was the most courageous person that ever lived. And Jesus' courage uh, was, his, uh, it was the outward expression of his inward loyalty to God his Father. And that loyalty to God his Father meant that Jesus he never really fit into any of the tribal distinctions of his day. He sort of, uh, uh, he was sometimes um, uh, attractive and sometimes offensive to pretty much everybody. But what happened is his loyalty to God, his father, uh, led Jesus to embrace a path that ultimately, ultimately led to almost universal rejection. It led to his suffering. And Jesus uh, walked a path that led straight into suffering because that was the pathway to fulfill God's vision for reconciliation and God's vision for redemption and for restoration. And what I'm saying is this, 
Uh, true courage is defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's the courage that I would love for us to understand and internalize. That's the, that's the kind of courage that I'm asking about. Uh, how do we get it? Because it seems to me quite clear uh, that we need it. Because you can't follow Jesus without courage. But then another reason that I'm asking about courage is, here we are, we're almost done with the book of Daniel. And one of the key purposes of the book of Daniel is to teach God's people about real courage. For instance, in our reading today, God gives uh, Daniel a very frightening vision. Did you catch how overwhelmed Daniel is in this reading? He's completely overwhelmed. And yet, despite being entirely overwhelmed, Look at verse 19. Right when he's overwhelmed, an angel says, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong, and be of good courage. God is teaching Daniel about courage, and that's one of the points of the whole book of Daniel. So, true courage, why do we need it? How do we get it? First of all, why do we need courage? Well, come with me into Daniel's experience. It's kind of bizarre. Take a look at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. All right, so one reason that Daniel needs courage is that he sees a vision. So what happens is, this is uh, Daniel as a prophet. One of the things that sometimes happens with prophets is God, so to speak, gives them a vision, or it's almost like a dream. It's vivid, symbolic imagery that is meant to point to bigger realities. And in the case of this vision, Daniel is getting a glimpse into uh, aspects of the future. But the future that Daniel sees is scary. It's full of conflict. Now, we're, we just read the very introduction to this vision. You can read the full vision in the next chapter, chapter 11. I encourage you to go read it. But what you'll find is that it's just a frightening future. It's not a rosy picture of the future. Uh, Daniel looks down into the distant future and he sees wave after wave of conflict. And not only does he see wave after wave of conflict, he sees that right in the middle of that conflict is his own people, the people of God. And they're right there in the middle of the conflict, not so much as combatants, but as victims. And you've got to appreciate just how devastating this must have been for Daniel. Do you remember Daniel's backstory? Uh, Daniel was born, we think, in Jerusalem. But when Daniel was a young man, Jerusalem was defeated in war, and Daniel himself, as a young man, became a spoil of war. He was exiled into Babylon. We might even say he was trafficked. And just, and he spent his whole life in exile, his whole life praying, oh God, will you restore your people? In fact, just in the chapter before this, in chapter 9, Daniel's prayed, oh God, please restore your people. Send them back to Jerusalem. And actually, 
do, do you know, we know that, I mean, the, the uh, verse one gives us the year when Daniel gets this vision. Just one or two years before Daniel gets this vision, the very first uh, Jewish exiles are allowed to return to Jerusalem. And so that means that when Daniel gets this vision, there's a little bit of reason, a glimpse of optimism for the future. And yet then he gets this series of visions and these series of visions tell him that the future is not going to be all rosy. It's going to be a scary place. And, and, and in order to understand what Daniel's experiencing, you know that feeling you get when you look at your newsfeed and you see bad news after tragedy, after disaster? Do you know that feeling? Well, take that feeling. Did you feel it this week? And magnify it, and you get a sense of what Daniel is feeling. But then we need to look at a different layer to what Daniel's experiencing. In this reading, Daniel has a conversation with these beings. They're at least angels. And one of them gives Daniel an insight into something that's going on beneath the surface. Take a look at verse 12. Then this being, maybe an angel, said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have, become, and I have come because of your words. And then this is important. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, that's an angel, one of the chief princes came to help me. Now, what in the world? Okay. Do you see when it says the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Uh, that is almost certainly not talking about a human prince. That is almost certainly not talking about a human leader. What's it talking about? It's almost certainly talking about a spiritual prince. What? A spiritual authority and not the good kind. Here's the point. Daniel finds out that underneath the obvious conflict at the human level, the obvious conflict of his world, underneath that is a sinister spiritual reality. This is the beginning of what later on we find out is called the devil or Satan or demons and all kinds of things like that. And my guess is that as soon as I bring that up, does it spark a little skepticism? And if it does, I can see why it might. But let me just ask a few questions, Emmanuel. What explains the persistent racism that can lead to massacres like what happened in Buffalo? And what explains the hell that played out in Ovalde, Texas? And what explains the sexual predation that has happened within the church and sometimes covered up by its shepherds? What explains that? And I know we could gather uh, sociologists and psychologists that could give us a lot of insight. And we could gather educators and ethicists that might give us some indication of what we should do about it all. And yet, and we should listen to all of those voices very, very 
closely and carefully. And yet, Emmanuel, at the end of the day, when all the best human learning is exhausted, evil remains. And evil remains with a certain persistence and sinister depth that goes beyond the power of humanity to overcome it. And it's easy when we start talking about things like the devil and demons and so forth, it's easy for that to just sound simply mythological. And I'm sure that a lot of what comes to our mind when we think about the devil is simply silly fantasy. But despite all of that, I beg you to consider the question, do we really have a better explanation for the reality of evil? And do we have a better explanation for the persistence of evil? I'm not saying that the devil and demons explains all of it. It doesn't, but explains part of it. It's part of the picture in the scriptures. And if we find that we don't have a better explanation for the reality of evil, then consider also the danger of ignoring evil spiritual power. And so here's Daniel. He sees a vision of human conflict between empires that's going to roll down into the distant future. But then Daniel also sees underneath that something of a spiritual, sinister power that is in part contributing to the whole scenario. And, no, and when you see all of those things together, no wonder he was overwhelmed. And no wonder he needed courage. He was seeing the world in all its ugly reality. And if he needed courage, don't we? Oh, how did he get courage? Well, this is important because he didn't get courage primarily by looking at the evil. He needed to see it, and we've got to be realists. But that's not where he got his courage. Nor did he get his courage by looking within. And that might be another place we might be tempted to look, but that's not where Daniel got his courage. It wasn't something that he worked up from within himself. He got his courage, Emmanuel, by looking away from himself and, in fact, away from the evil which he was being warned about. He looks away from both of those things, and he gets a vision of God. Take a look at verse 5. So Daniel is standing by the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq, Verse 5, he says this, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, Emmanuel, when you see the word behold in the Bible, don't gloss over it. It means look up and pay attention. Behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. Now, who in the world is Daniel looking at here? And the reality is, everybody debates this, okay? But let's start with this. Daniel at least is looking at an angel. Maybe more than an angel. We'll get there in a minute. But we do know that whoever this person is, this person is clearly uh, clothed to represent God. How do I know that? Well, he's dressed in linen. Linen was associated with the priesthood, and priests are meant to be ambassadors of God. They're meant to point away from themselves to the person of God. 
Except this person isn't just a normal priest, because look at his face. His face is shining like lightning, almost as if God's divine glory is shining out from his face. And his legs and his arms are like burnished bronze. Pay attention. This does not mean he's clothed with armor. It means he doesn't need any, because strength and power is part of his person. But then, and this might be the most important thing, consider his words and his voice. Look at verse 6. It says his words are like a multitude. Now, that doesn't just mean he spoke with a loud voice. It means that when he speaks, he communicates his power through speaking. Uh, it means that every word that comes from this person is both true, but on the other hand, communicates intrinsic authority. Okay, now these are crazy images. What does it mean and how does it relate to courage? Well, Daniel is looking at this person, but he's seeing uh, outward expressions of God's power and authority. Why is that important? Here's why. Daniel's vision is as scary as it gets. Daniel's vision is about conflict, and a conflict between good and evil that runs down the rest of history. And if Daniel just looks at the battle, then what he's going to see is the shattering of the power of the people of God. That's the way it gets described. And he will break, and his hope will fail. Or if he looks just at the spiritual enemy, he will be overwhelmed by the power and the persistence of evil, and his hope will fail and he'll shatter under its weight. But here, if he starts with his eyes, not upon the conflict nor upon the enemy, but upon God, God's power and God's authority, and when he hears God's word, God's voice, and when he sees and hears that God is grander, bigger, even more frightening than the enemies that confront him, that is when Daniel realizes something that builds courage within us. And here's what he learns. As he looks at God's representative, he learns that the battle is long and the fight is fierce, but the victory in the end is not in question. What he finds out, Emmanuel, is that evil, along with everyone allied with evil, is eventually going to be thrown down and defeated and judged forever. But it's not going to be a humanist victory. The, the, we're not going to be the heroes in the war. Daniel's not going to be the hero. There's a role to play, but we're not the ones who win. The hero is going to be God. His power and his authority is sufficient to guarantee the, the defeat of evil. It's God's character, his power and authority that guarantees that he's going to get that done. Now, Daniel never quite sees how that defeat works. Daniel doesn't get all the details. Uh, God keeps part of his plan confidential from Daniel. But what Daniel can see at this point is that God is powerful and God has authority, that God is true and that God can be trusted. And that vision is part of the raw material of what will give Daniel courage. And Emmanuel, it needs to be part of the raw material of what gives us courage. What it is that comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
Somebody called A.W. Tozer said that, and he's right. But one of the things that's important is that we can see more than what Daniel could see. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, if you skip to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, a prophet called John sees a vision a little bit like Daniel's, only he sees Jesus and he knows it's Jesus. He sees Jesus in heaven. And when John sees Jesus, Jesus looks an awful lot like the person that Daniel sees. Why is that important? Here's why. It means that you and I gain courage by looking at Jesus just like Daniel gained courage by looking at this person in his vision. Uh, last Thursday was Ascension Day. And on Ascension Day, we remember how Jesus is alive, and not just alive, but that God has entrusted to Jesus all power and all authority so that Jesus is the most decisive person in the universe. Now, I know that that's a very, very big claim, but it's essential that we internalize that if we're going to exhibit the courage of Jesus. We've got to be a people, Emmanuel, who are more shaped by Jesus and Jesus' authority in this world than we are shaped by our news feed. What would it look like if that were true in your life? And that doesn't mean we try to escape this world. It doesn't mean we dissociate from the world's problems. It, the more captivated we are by Jesus and by Jesus' authority, the more courage we will have to engage this world, but we'll be able to engage it with wisdom and with humility and with hope and with faith and with love. Because we will remember, as we look at the conflict, we'll be able to look at Jesus, we'll be able to see his authority, and we'll also remember Jesus' path to that authority. Remember, Jesus gained his authority through the cross. The Bible says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, that was the epicenter of the battle between good and evil in this world. The Bible says that as Jesus was dying, he was battling evil. He was suffering human evil, but he was also battling that deep spiritual evil as well. He was battling the devil, so to speak. In fact, in Paul, in the book of Galatians, or Colossians, it says this, just listen. On the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So that when Jesus died, the devil and all spiritual evil, so to speak, did their worst against Jesus. And it killed him, and yet in Jesus' death, it backfired against evil. They were defeated. Jesus wasn't defeated. And we know that because Jesus rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he set on display his victory over evil. And that gives us courage today because it means this. You will never face evil that Jesus has not already faced. And you will never face evil that Jesus has not already defeated. And therefore, if you belong to Jesus, he will make sure that all of your suffering and even your death will not finally destroy you forever. And so just like Daniel feared this person whom he saw that represented God's uh, character, so, Emmanuel, we need to fear Jesus because if we fear him, we need fear nothing else. 
But that's not all. Go back to Daniel. Because his courage doesn't just come from seeing God's power and authority. It also comes from receiving God's tender love. Do you see how when Daniel sees God's representative and all of his power and authority, he falls down, he's overwhelmed. And then watch what happens. Look at verse 10. And behold, remember, pay attention, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. And then skip down to verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said to me, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Emmanuel, consider the tenderness of that moment. The representative of God, bearing all of the authority and the majesty that goes along with that, reaches out and touches Daniel. Do you remember the first time you hugged somebody after lockdown? Remember? It's a powerful thing to be touched in love. And here, God, through his representative, takes all of his power and authority, everything that was just overwhelming Daniel, all of that weight, and he marshals all of it in tender affection and love towards this beloved of God. Now, do you think Jesus loves you any less than that? Did you catch the gospel reading? Jesus is just about ready to go and die. He's just about ready to go battle evil and all the forces of wickedness that rebel against God. But when he looks at his disciples, he says, Disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the promised Holy Spirit. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been keeping that promise. Jesus uses all of his authority and power to pour out his Holy Spirit to those who belong to him. And one of the special, maybe the greatest gift that the Holy Spirit gives is to communicate the close, tender affection of Jesus Christ. And the love of Jesus is not a sentimental love. It's not something that comes and goes. It can't be packed into merely a feeling. It's bigger. It's as big as the cross of Christ. It's rigorous, and it's robust, and it's resilient, and it can stand up to all the forces of hell. And it's a love that reaches out to people in the midst of a fractured and conflicted world. And it's as if Jesus says to us right now, yes, it's as if Jesus says, yes, I know all about the pain and the wreckage of this world. I know all about the hatred and I know all about the death. I was there and I'm here. And I know all about the violence and the war. I know what it is for the nails to be stuck in my hands. I've walked that path and I've not left you alone now. It's as if Jesus says, it's as if Jesus says, when you walk through that frightened valley, I want you to remember something. It's as if Jesus says, Emmanuel, don't forget. I want you to remember what I told Daniel through that angel. I want you to remember that I say to you right now, it's as if Jesus is saying, I want you to remember that you are, oh, greatly loved. And because you're greatly loved, I want you not to be afraid. And because you're greatly loved, and that love was proved in my death upon the cross, I want you to remember that my peace is with you and my peace will win in the end. So don't be afraid, but stand firm. That's Jesus' message to all who belong to him. Can you hear him? 
Do you belong to him? Because if you don't, you can. In fact, he's summoning you right now. With all of his power and all of his authority, he's saying, come to me. Come to me and, and say yes to me. I gave my life for you. Surrender your life to me. And he will make sure that his destiny becomes your destiny. And if you do belong to Jesus, then Emmanuel, take courage. The world can be a dark place. I'm not going to tell you it's all going to turn out just fine in the short term. But I am going to say this. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then there is great reason for hope. There is certainty of hope. And we are to be ambassadors of his hope in a fractured world. And so we hold up Jesus Christ with our eyes fixed on him, and then we walk into the fractured nature of this world with courage, not evading, but stepping right in and following Jesus who walked to the cross. And we will be able to be ambassadors of his very very great love. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.